This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, April 6, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. When a member of the Federal Election Commission takes to the pages of the New York Times to indicate that not only was the Citizens United decision wrong, but also that she has a path to blunt that decision, you have to wonder what she thinks her job is. Alan Dickerson is legal director at the Center for Competitive Politics. We spoke yesterday about the role of the FEC and the rights you retain when you form a corporation. Ellen Weintraub is a commissioner on the Federal Election Commission and writes this piece in the New York Times, essentially taking issue with a Supreme Court precedent, an important Supreme Court precedent, on the degree to which private individuals banded together can speak freely about politics. This has become a a lamentable trend among uh, certain personnel on the commission of sort of of deciding essentially that Citizens United was wrongly decided in their view and therefore uh, should be the subject of uh, public probrium. And she refers to this as an attempt to to blunt the effect of Citizens United, uh, which I, I think some people could reasonably question whether it's really appropriate for a federal officer who's bound by a Supreme Court opinion uh, extending constitutional rights to people she regulates to be uh, publicly questioning that decision. Well, but it's also kind of odd. As it's as if it's almost as if she's saying, "Well, we all agree that this was bad, so here's how we deal with it." I think there's some truth to that. I think that's a fair statement of how how she uh, how she views the case. Um, I. I I disagree with the premise. I mean, I think Citizens United was probably uh, a poorly understood decision that that extended the law far less than people uh, are assuming, and then the the heated rhetoric would lead one to believe. So, what is her argument broadly about how uh, the FEC or federal regulators in general ought to blunt the effect of this Supreme Court decision? Well, she sets two uh, two principles in in conflict. Uh, the first is. Uh, you know, Citizens United itself, which held that corporations, uh, which of course are amalgamations of individuals with a certain governmental form and, and certain legal privileges, uh, that corporations do not have what she calls political rights, um, and that also at the same time there's there's been law saying that foreign nationals uh, do not have the right to participate in American electoral speech in in various ways. And that if you look at these things in, in conjunction, uh, her argument is, well, then you can't have any corporation which has any foreign shareholder engage in any First Amendment protected activity in the United States. And it's a, it's a clever move, um, partially because you know, there is, I think, some tension between these ideas, uh, though not in the way she describes it. And also because, and I think this is lamentable, um, you know, there, there has been a tendency in this election cycle to... Uh, avail oneself of xenophobic influences, uh, and that 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 line of attack. Um, I'm surprised to see in the New York Times, but you know is is available to her. Uh, so 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 that's that's essentially the argument, and I, I can go through and explain why I well, disagree with it. Give but. give that argument its best presentation to this audience. <laughs> Certainly, her argument is that while Citizens United did extend a certain political constitutional protections to corporate speech, that it didn't extend, uh, that, that its decision to extend what she calls political rights to corporations was an innovation, was not something that's a longstanding concept in the law. It's something that's new um, and I think in her view, therefore, 
uh, both vulnerable and questionable. Uh, and then the second point is that you know there's longstanding law that foreign nationals can't contribute to candidates, they can't give to PACs, they can't fund the sort of electioneering uh, communications and uh, ads, essentially, that are regulated by the Citizens United opinion. And she combines these, these concepts together to say, well, that means that there is no constitutional right for a corporation with any foreign shareholder uh, to engage in any political speech in the United States, which, of course, is... Uh, potentially a, a very uh, a very powerful concept because almost all corporations have at least some foreign shareholders, uh, mostly because it's almost impossible to track all of the shareholders of a major publicly traded company. So what's wrong with that argument? Uh, most of it. Uh, so the, the first part is that, of course, Citizens United, I mean, I say of course because I'm a lawyer and this is a, a relatively obvious point to a lawyer, but perhaps not to the general public. Um, Citizens United didn't create the concept of corporate constitutional rights. That's a, it's a very long-standing concept. Uh, it goes back to, I mean, it goes back to first principles, to the idea that you know, individuals who are, you know, De Tocqueville writes about this, that individuals who are out there trying to, you know, influence great events are atomized and weak. Uh, but then when they come together in coalitions and they, uh, you know, they, they join their forces, they're able to accomplish, you know, substantial ends. Uh, but I mean, it's also been a longstanding view of the law. You know, back during the, the civil rights movement, there were a series of cases where the Supreme Court said that the NAACP, as a corporation, not merely on behalf of its measures, members, but as an entity itself, had constitutional rights to engage in advocacy, to hire lawyers, to bring lawsuits challenging segregation, to do all these things which I, I think most people, uh, and certainly most lawyers, would consider to be political rights. Um, and that those were held by the NAACP, a corporation. Uh, there's a long line of cases talking about the corporate rights of uh, the press to engage in speech of all sorts. Uh, you know, there's, uh, I think it's somewhat surprising to see this in the New York Times, given that many of the most important cases vindicating the First Amendment rights of corporate press entities, uh, New York Times versus United States, Pentagon Papers case, uh, you know, those were cases brought by the New York Times company as a corporation, a, a for-profit, publicly traded company. Um, and, and you have, you know, even in the campaign finance realm, a long line of cases written by people like Justices Powell and Brennan um, saying, no, the fact that a corporation is doing the speaking doesn't change the fact that the First Amendment applies. So in that sense, I, th I think it's, it's Commissioner Weintraub who's taking the, the, the somewhat uh, is, is trying to innovate in the law uh, and away from a, a certainly more than half century long line of cases and a much longer general understanding that no, the fact that people associate using the corporate form, that they don't sort of risk their own private uh, their own their own private liability when they come together to accomplish something in unison uh, doesn't change the fact that they're entitled to certain political rights. Like not having their door kicked in without a warrant, for example? That is a good one. Uh, corporations can <laughs> exercise most of the due process rights. Uh, there's, there's rights against self-incrimination in certain cases. There's rights against uh, searches and seizures, as you, as you mentioned. So what do you None mean? of this is new. What do you mean by political rights? I mean, what, what does that include? Well, it's really hard to say because I, I think she's trying to make a distinction that doesn't exist. Uh, the phrase is, is the commissioner's, not mine. Um, I think what she has in mind is those rights she doesn't want corporations to have. Uh, so, I mean, I, your, your point about uh, illegal searches is, is very well taken, uh, but I don't think she'd call that a political right. Um, I assume the commissioner is aware, given her, her job and background, of the line of cases about speech rights in the context of the press, about 
speech rights in the context of the NAACP. Um, so I imagine what she means by political rights is the right to spend money as a corporation to fund speech. Um, and again, I mean, this, their case is going back to the very beginning of the FEC, well before her tenure a uh, generation ago, uh, saying that actually corporations do have those rights. But uh, I, th- I think that's probably the, the ground upon which she'd feel most comfortable fighting. So you suggest that her goal in writing this and sort of tossing this trial balloon out uh, into the world is to uh, have any corporation of any significant size simply not participate in uh, electoral politics or not uh, be able to exercise a right to speak. That's exactly right. I mean, it's, it's an attempt to create essentially a poison pill where you know any corporation that has a single person who has a, 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 any sort of ownership interest who cannot personally contribute uh, would would spoil the spoil the barrel. Um, I think that's that's very clearly into the intention. I mean, she she specifically says that you know lawyers for corporations should think twice. That she's she she suggests very strongly that she would vote for enforcement actions um, on these facts. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that's the intention. Now. I also think that betrays a, a misunderstanding of how corporations actually operate. Um, you know, this idea that someone who owns a share in Exxon somehow has contributed the money for Exxon's political speech is just wrong as a factual matter. Uh, generally, when you buy a share of fill in the company you like, uh, you're, you're, you're buying it on the open market from someone who already owns that share. You're not capitalizing the corporation. That money doesn't go to the corporation. Uh, you're not none of the none of the actual funds used in the making of that speech come from you as a shareholder. Uh, in fact, the relationship goes the opposite way. You're supposed to get money from the corporation, not give it to it generally as a as an equity holder. But I, th- I mean, her point would be that you own a share of stock. You may attend directors' meetings. You may uh, vote mm-hmm. you have voting uh, rights. for this or that for the direction. And it's, it seems to be almost a problem of piles. That is, how many grains of salt make a pile? Uh, and if you start with a pile of salt, uh, taking away grains, when does it cease to be a pile? Those, that kind of question. Well, and I think, I think that's right and leads to what I think is a much better way of thinking about this, which is it's not about whether you know, there's, a, there's anywhere in the chain, which frankly, in a globalized economy, there always will be, you know, someone who happens to hold a foreign passport um, the question is, who's controlling the political decision? And that's been the rule at the commission for, for years, for decades. Um, and Controlling the political decision, meaning within a, a corporation or a union that is uh, sp- would be spending money on speech, who's controlling that decision? That's exactly right. So, I mean, to use an example, American subsidiaries of foreign corporations are entitled to do a lot of this and have been for years. Uh, you know, through PACs. Um, and in those cases, the rule is, well, as long as there aren't any foreign nationals in the decision-making chain, as long as they're walled off, you know, you, those, those corporations can go, again, go ahead and exercise their constitutional statutory rights. Um, it, it, it's not clear to me why that, that way of thinking, uh, which, which again, I mean, is, has been the rule of the commission for ages, uh, doesn't, accom- doesn't accomplish exactly the goals that she's trying to accomplish without creating this poison pill, which essentially silences all uh, public advocacy by corporate entities. Alan Dickerson is legal director at the Center for Competitive Politics. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>